When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. It's out with Nuno and in with Antonio for Tottenham Hotspur. Little over 24 hours since Espirito Santo was relieved of his duties in North London, Spurs have moved to bring in a manager that will waste no time in straightening things out. It's a return to the capital for the Italian Antonio Conte, who lifted the Premier League title with Chelsea and was a Serie A champion last season with Inter Milan. But will he transform Spurs into a trophy-winning team? Reaction to Conte's appointment on today's show, as well as reaction to a third successive Everton defeat. Wolves 2-1 winners in the Premier League at Molyneux last night with another below-par showing from Benitez's boys. Just how concerning is current form for the Toffees. And there's Champions League action this evening. Manchester United travel to Atalanta. Will Ole Gunnar Solskjaer stick with the system that saw his side bounce back against Spurs? All that to come here on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. I'm Niall McCorn and alongside me to chat today's football, we've got Marley Anderson. How you doing, Marley? <coughs> oh, <excuse me. laughs> he was doing well up until that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I was like, oh no, I'm about to sneeze. I was looking for the mute button and everything, and then bang, there, there it was. You know what? Normally, I cut the sneezes out, but I might have to keep that one in just because it was so perfectly timed. Comedy timing, just comedy just got timing, it just naturally. Yeah. Unfortunately, my intro wasn't as comic as Jim's yesterday on Football Social Day, <laughs> where he cracked a very, very good Paul Scholes joke, which did uh, did did do you in a little bit. Um, yesterday's podcast, we discussed the sacking of Nuno Espirito Santo. So if you are a first time listener to the show, why not hit subscribe? That way you won't miss an episode. If you scroll back up in the timeline, you'll be able to find the reaction to Nuno sacking. Today, it's all about Antonio Conte's appointment, a man who some Manchester United fans wanted at their club. And we've got a Manchester United fan on today's podcast as well. It's Sports Social's Joel Tudor. How are you doing, Joel? Morning, guys. I'm good. I've been better. You've been better. <laughs> we'll come on to that in a second. We're actually not going to start with Antonio Conte because even though today, Tuesday, he will be unveiled as the new Tottenham Hotspur manager, that hasn't happened just yet. We're expecting it to happen as we record this episode of Football Social Daily. But there was Premier League action last night, and that's where we're going to start at Molyneux, where Wolverhampton Wanderers welcomed Everton to the West Midlands and the score finished 2-1 to Wolves. I said yesterday, Marley, that after two successive defeats, one of which was a heavy home defeat by five goals to two at the hands of Watford, I fancied Everton to bounce back. However, they didn't do so. And in fact, they were pretty poor again last night. How concerning is their current form, do you think? Uh, it, I think it is quite concerning. Um, Wolves pretty much played them off the park for the, for most of the game last night. Um, it was 2-0, obviously fairly quickly, like in quick succession. You don't really associate that with uh, Rafa Benitez's sides. Um, kind of similar to, to last week when they conceded a few in quick succession to Watford. Um, but yeah, Wolves were really good. Um, but it's hard It's hard because Wolves... Uh, it's hard because Everton haven't got their full-strength team yet. You know, missing Dini was a massive 
loss at left back. Um, obviously, Calvert-Lewin was in the Monday Night Football studio last night wearing a, some highly questionable clobber, but that's another that's another thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I looked at the team lineup and it said it had um, it had Godfrey at left back, and I was like, that's a little bit of a worry because they don't have any other left backs other than Luca Dina, and it does sort of show. Because, I mean, I know he made the mistake for the goal, but he, I don't think he looked massively comfortable there um, th- uh, this this season when I've seen him play. And also last last season at right back, I just think like if you if you bring him in for 20, 25 million quid and you've seen him as a centre-back and you've you've paid that money off him being a centre-back, turning him into a full-back when he's six foot two and sort of looks every bit of a centre-back is, is strange and it's a bit of a... A uh, bit of a tall task for me, so uh, it was sort of like square pegs in round holes, and they kind of played like that as well. So it's not uh, not the best result for them again. Yeah, it's not looking good at the moment for Everton. Wolverhampton Wanderers with their goals through Max Kilman and Raúl Jiménez. Two of those goals coming in four minute spell. Joel, one of them was a set piece. One of them was an individual error. Two things that Rafa Benitez will be immensely frustrated with, do you think? Because to concede from a set piece is never nice for any manager and for a player to make an individual mistake is also really frustrating. How do you think Rafa Benitez will be feeling after that result? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, managers are pretty powerless to these individual errors when he's probably put out a pretty distinct plan in place before the before the game. Uh, but I don't think you can take anything away from Wolves. I mean, I've been present, uh, pleasantly surprised with how they've just kind of slowly creeped up the table at the moment. <clears throat> I mean, they've got uh, the third most points in the league since September with 16, which is just just behind Chelsea and Arsenal, which is really impressive because I remember when Bruno Lage took over from Nuno, I was thinking he's got such a huge task on his hands since, you know, from that 1920 season when Wolves were like kind of the the flavour of the season when they had the uh, striking force like Traore, Jimenez and they were really taking teams on with that three at the back. And to be honest, he's really taken the job into his own. When you got Trincao, Jimenez and Huanga, the front three, I mean, they've, they've been pretty devastating against each team that they've played. They've got such a nice, well-balanced side. And I think the the massive key at the moment now is the fact that Jimenez is really starting to find his feet again. Under under Nuno, he had to play Fabio Silva for a good majority of that season when uh, Jimenez had that head injury. And now he's starting to really find his feet again, find that form where he got, I think, like 15 to 20 goals that season. And it's, obviously he's paying dividends massively. Um, and now they're up to seventh in the table, four wins in the last five, uh, undefeated in the last five as well. So they've been a real like breath of fresh air. And I think Wolves fans have probably been really pleasantly surprised as well because I don't think many had huge expectations when Bruno Lage was taking over Nuno. But, I mean, he's made the team his own and it's really bad luck for Benitez, who, you know, is coming at a similar time. And following that Manchester United 1-1 draw, it looked like they were on the way up again, but it seems that they just really started to stagnate. Yeah, definitely. I think that, like what I was saying yesterday, I think it would be slightly unfair for Everton fans to turn on Rafa Benitez after those two home displays, but away from home, losing 2-1 to Wolves and looking pretty toothless, Marley, in all fairness, going forward. I think Richarlison had a good header, which was well saved by Jose Sarr, and that's one of the only chances I can really think of. Obviously, Alex Awobi did half the deficit. The ball was kind of pinballing around in the penalty area, fell nicely for Awobi, who sort of struck a smart half volley underneath the goalkeeper and into the net to make it 2-1. But aside from those couple of opportunities that I've listed, it's hard to think of any real guilt-edged chances that Everton had. We know they've been missing Richarlison. We know they've been missing Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who incidentally, as you mentioned, was a pundit in the Sky Sports studio last night. How much of a miss are they? Because obviously defensively there's a bit of an issue, which is unusual for a Rafa Benitez side to concede seven in two games is a huge concern. But also at the other end, if you can't find the back of the net, you're going to find yourselves in trouble. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a big concern. But it is, you know, most of the problem is them them two players being missing. I think, you know, they give you everything. They they are Everson's attack. They they carry it pretty much. Um, Richarlison from the left in particular is very, very hard to deal with because the timing of his runs and, and the the positions he gets it into the box are, are superb. That's why he scores quite a few goals. 
Uh, Calvert-Lewin's one of the best sort of all-round strikers um, we've got in England, I suppose. You know, he, he can he can do everything. He can win the ball in the air better than most. He's decent on the floor. He can link play and everything like that. So once you take all that out out, out of one team, and you know, as, as Dakure's energy in midfield is huge for them as well, and they're missing him um, too. But I think once you um, you know, Townsend had a good start to the season in Damari Gray as well, but. We were all surprised by Damari Gray and Townsend doing really well, and that is kind of that is basically because they're not, you know, the best wingers in the league. They're just guys doing really well, like who you didn't expect. So at some point in the season, fairly soon, they're gonna regress to their their old level. They're not gonna stay at that that point every every week where Andros Townsend's banging in, you know, a goal on the counter attack, and Damari Gray's going dribbling through and and slotting goals in left, right, and centre. That is gonna slow down. And it's who you've got who can pick up the slack when when that does happen. And when you look to your guys who to pick up that slack and Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin aren't in the team, it's such a huge task for somebody else to then pop up and say, right, well, I'll be the one who scores the goals this week. I mean, Richarlison's not even fit. I think he's, uh, he's being left out of the, um, the Brazil squad coming up because he needs to recover. Like, So he's basically playing... With I don't know what he's got. I don't know whether it's a knock or, or just a, like a lack of fitness, but he's not 100%. So he's doing a job up there now, basically on his own as as the focal point of the attack, and he's much easier to deal with when he's when there's only him and you've got three centre backs to to deal with him as well. So it's a really tough uh, situation for for Everton at the minute. But to be fair, hey, for me, long may it continue because once they get on his back. He might just go, sorry, I'm going back to Newcastle. So <laughs> I'd absolutely love that if that happened. So as long as Everton keep losing and the, the fans turn on Rafa, we can come yeah, on. Good old neutral opinion there from Marley Anderson when it comes to <laughs> it Everton. It started off neutral <laughs> and then it's just warped into, I want Rafa back. So let's let's have it. I definitely think Wolves should have scored more as well. And Everton were let off the hook in some respects. I think that 2-1 in some ways flattered Everton. Jordan Pickford had a good game. I think when Al Jimenez hit the post at one point as well, it could have been more than 2-1, which really would have uh, made for a headline, I think, this morning. Uh, rather than it being a 2-1 scoreline, it could have been more than that, in my opinion. Um, let's talk about one of the Wolves' goal scorers, Joel. Al Jimenez scored at Molyneux. Lovely finish, capitalised from an Everton defensive mistake. Nice chip over the goalkeeper to make it 2-1. Good to see him back scoring goals again after that horror injury against Arsenal last season, which put him out for a long time. And there were some question marks over whether he'd even play again. Yeah, because I think what you find with players who have really bad injuries, especially with their head, I remember, for example, Luke Shaw when he had that leg break and you always wonder, you know, a big factor of their games like Raul Jimenez, he's he's a guy who's amazing in the air and you always thought, well, will he have this kind of psychological barrier now of not wanting to, you know, be one-on-one competing with balls in the air, going for loose balls in the air. Uh, and sometimes it can really devastate a player's game, especially if it's one of the strengths as well. But it seems like for him, he's slowly coming to terms with the injuries, adapting to it. Uh, and yeah, like you said, it was a delightful finish. And I think it, it took him a little bit of time because obviously when he first initially came back from his injury, um, he was struggling to find goals a little bit and struggling to find his feet because let's not forget he was out for nearly a whole season with that head injury. Um, so it was always going to take a bit of adaptation and getting used to the fact that he has to trust his own body again. But I mean, now I think he's got what two or three goals this season, and I'm sure he's going to continue on. Now it, it'll just be a confidence boost. I think with strikers, you always need that confidence boosting goal to continue that form, especially after a big injury like that. Um, and I feel like yeah, he's probably going to end up getting back to a similar kind of form. I don't think he'll ever truly get back to that form that we saw. Uh, under Nuno where he got 15 to 20 goals that season and he was just untouchable um, but I think that he's going to slowly really come into his own and he's definitely not the end of him it's probably just a new updated form which he needs to adapt to he needs to adapt to, to his own body and his capabilities now but he's still a, a, a prime age for a striker to go on he's only 30 years old at the moment and I think he can yeah, definitely continue on in the Premier League at a really good level I think that's a great point the fact that He's obviously been injured quite badly, quite severely, a head injury. It's never nice to see. So I think it's a, a really great point that you make about adapting to a new way of life almost for Raul Jimenez in terms of the way he plays the game. And, you know, he, he probably can't be as 
rigorous with himself as he was beforehand. So definitely would have taken some adapting. But he was on the score sheet last night. Wolverhampton Wanderers bagged two. Everton bagged one. Two won the final score. And Wolves take the three points from Molyneux. Everton go back to the northwest with their tail between their legs, having lost three in a row now in the Premier League. Now, Tottenham Hotspur were humbled at the weekend by Manchester United and it forced Spurs chairman Daniel Levy to wield the axe when it came to Nuno Espirito Santo. Santo was sacked yesterday morning and a little over 24 hours later, Antonio Conte will be announced as the new Tottenham Hotspur manager. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your daily Premier League show, Football Social Daily. We are the only podcast that releases a new episode on the English Top Flight every single day of the season. So why not hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode. We also have shows on the weekends as well, looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League games with two former Premier League professionals, as well as our review show on a Sunday with Fergal Brennan and co looking back, reflecting on the Premier League action across the weekend. But for now, though, We'll be talking about Tottenham because Antonio Conte will be announced as the new Spurs manager today after the sacking of Nuno Espirito Santo yesterday. Santo was sacked after Tottenham had lost five of their last 10 Premier League games. They're opening 10 of the season and that defeat 3-0 to Manchester United at the weekend forced Daniel Levy to say enough is enough. So Santo is gone and Conte will come in. Joel, how much of an upgrade on Nuno Espirito Santo do you think Antonio Conte is? I mean, it's worlds apart. You only have to look at their honours to see like who's the real gravy and who isn't. I mean, <laughs> Conte's, Conte's gone every single place and won. And he's done it in Italy and in England. I mean, you can't deny how good this guy is at getting a team fighting for him, especially those who don't want to work. I remember looking at... Uh, when he was at Chelsea in his initial season and <laughs> some of the players were just like on the floor hyperventilating just because his training sessions are so vigorous um, but of course it's a massive massive upgrade for Spurs I mean Nuno I feel I feel quite sorry for him just because I think the Spurs fans knew Daniel Levy knew that he was a stopgap until they could figure out who was the next guy in for him and it after that merry-go-round in the summer where they did like all these different managers interviewing one after the other I think there was like six in total um, after my rejection as well um, there was just constant it, it was a strange it was a strange one and and I think in the summer they actually they went for Conte and he rejected them purely based on not being able to agree with how much backing he would get so it's it's a it's I, I could go into this for days. I'll get back to that point, but it's a massive upgrade on Nuno, and I think this he's the only guy, and this is where I'm quite disappointed as a Manchester United fan. I feel as though he's the only manager left who's available, who could genuinely contend with the likes of Klopp, Guardiola, um, and Tuchel, and that's where I'm quite worried in a sense for my own club. But for Spurs, I think it's a massive upgrade, providing that he gets the backing because we know when he doesn't get the backing he'll turn tables over and I'm pretty sure that's why they've only given him an 18 month contract because Levy knows that this appointment is a weird one because everyone said that Santo probably wasn't the first choice for the job we've said that a number of times on Football Social Daily since the start of the season Marley and indeed since Nuno's appointment in the first place it's only fair to give a manager a chance but it felt like it was never going to work between Nuno and Tottenham Hotspur. He's been sacked and Conte comes in, which leads me to ask the question, why didn't they just get Antonio Conte in the summer? That's, that's a golden question. Um, I don't know, because Paratici came in in the summer and he was the guy sort of in charge of of appointing the new manager. He went through you know, seven or eight candidates, um, if, if reports are to be, to, to be believed, Fonseca, Gattuso... Um, Potter, uh, four or five others as well, including Conte, and then for some reason, I think the rumor, well, the rumor or the reason, whatever you want to believe, came out that Conte didn't think the squad was good enough, um, and he felt it was needed too much work. But here we are, ten weeks later, and it's the same man, it's the same squad, and you know, it's it seems like it's gonna go through now, so. 
I just don't know why they've they've took ten weeks to they've given him ten weeks less to work. I think maybe they've they've done maybe a classic Daniel Levy thing and tried to do things on the cheap with Santo, then realised it hasn't worked, and then gone ah balls. I should have spent that money ten weeks ago. Wonder where we'd be now. Um, and they're trying to fix a problem that they should never have had. I think. Having said that, Conte is a superb manager, and he will. Well, his his record suggests he will whip them into shape. Um, he'll mm, come but, in. But what sort of shape will that be? Obviously, fans are in expect are expecting an immediate upturn, and it can't be worse than the football that Nuno is playing. No shots on target um, for the last two hours and sixteen minutes of football. I'm pretty sure that even if they had replaced. Santo with Steve Bruce that they would have probably had a shot on target in their next game just because we hear about this new manager bounce. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but we'll you know, not be sure. You know what I'm saying though? It's one of yeah, those things yeah. where obviously Conte will come in and he will improve Tottenham. I think there's no doubt about that. When you say whip them into shape, does he turn Spurs into a trophy winning side? Does he turn Spurs maybe a year down the line into a title winning side? Oh, um, I think that's a way off. Um, purely because I think the last time he came into the Premier League with Chelsea, I think it was it's. I don't want to say easier to win, but I I do kind of mean it was easier to win. I think the the teams around them who were challenging for the title weren't as were nowhere near as strong as they were mm. they are now. You know we've got arguably four of the best five managers in the world when uh, in the Premier League when he comes in with Tuchel, uh, Guardiola. And um, uh, Klopp. <laughs> yeah, I was like, who's the other one? Do you know why? Because I was go- I was gonna throw in the Newcastle manager as a as a classic little like thing that I do when I was saying we're great even though we're rubbish, and then I realised Christ, we haven't got one. <laughs> so I was like, oh, who who should I put in? Yeah, so Klopp, you know, Klopp, Tuchel, and Guardiola are, are there, and then now you've got Conte as well. So you know, four of the top five managers in the world you could argue there um and it's it's huge but the the mountain is so much bigger now I think with Conte um that to get Spurs number one into that mix in the top four is is tough but doable um and then to get them from in the top four to challenging for a title is is the next issue um and with 18 months or just over on his on his contract it's uh, a quick Something quick is needed. I think whatever Spurs do, you need more than eighteen months to do it because I think they're at the they're in a, a a place where they need a lot of work doing. They need the Kane situation sorting out. I think they need to be active in the transfer market. I think Larice is probably coming to the end of his his time. Um, is well probably his career to be fair. You you need some more creativity in that midfield. You need to sort out what Tangai and Dombele is doing because. You know, every now and again he looks amazing, but every now and again, well, more than every now and again, he looks like lost in midfield as if he's playing in the wrong position or he's just not that bothered. Um, so I don't know whether that's a manager issue, but I would assume if you're playing under Conte, if you're not giving 100%, he's going to, well, as he said in that quote, prefer to kill him and play with 22 players. Um, so it's, it's there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. Um, but... Can Spurs win a trophy? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because they should have won trophies in the previous three three years. They should have won something. They should, they should have won a, a Carabao Cup or an FA Cup or gone for something a bit more um, and got a bit further. And I think it's easier to win a cup than it is to win a league. Um, and I think Conte will know that and he'll go, right, you know what, when the FA Cup comes around in and starts in January, we're probably going to go for that. And it's a route into Europe and it's a route out of that crappy competition they're playing in now. Um, and he'll probably say, you know what, while I'm here, well, let's win this conference league as well. Let's let's have a proper go at it. Obviously, it's my job to ask the questions. I didn't say, will he turn them into a title winning side as a suggestion that they're going to win the league anytime soon. I suppose my point, Joel, is when he went into Chelsea, he went into a club who have already built a platform when it comes to success. They had already won league titles in years gone by and trophies, indeed a Champions League before the time that Antonio Conte went into the club. He also went into a club when he went to Chelsea that firmly backed their managers, not in terms of keeping them in a job, but in terms of giving them money to spend. Roman Abramovich isn't shy to loosen the purse strings and spend a few quid when the time comes. When Conte goes into Tottenham Hotspur, he's going into a club that hasn't won a trophy since 2008, hasn't won a league title since the 1960s. 
it's quite a marked difference. Tottenham have probably only really become an elite club in inverted commas in the last probably the last five to ten years. So do you think then that maybe the expectations, despite the quality that Antonio Conte has as a manager and the silverware that he's won, do you think those expectations do need to be tempered a little bit? Because unless Daniel Levy backs Antonio Conte and gives him the cash that he will undoubtedly ask for, it seems like, what's the point? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, Chelsea and Tottenham are just two different beasts in their whole entirety because like you say when a manager goes to Chelsea he knows exactly what he's going to get which is ridiculous financial backing he probably will only have about two to three years maximum to lay out his plans and achieve what he needs to achieve I would have said like I think Marley's bang on what he says where I'd say about four to five years ago if you, if you would have had this asked the same question of will Conte potentially you know rival Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, and City for the title. I probably would have said yes, but when you look at how elite their sides are now and how long it's taken them to get to that stage, like for example, Klopp, it's not been an easy ride for him. It's taken him four to five years to get to this level. You look at Pep, it's taken him a good two to three years. Uh, Tuchel, uh, he had a pretty good squad already, but he's really developed it. With Conte, he really needs to change this squad inside out to make it what we know as a Antonio Conte squad. And I'm just really not sure how what their ambitions are with him because I'm he'll 100% get closer to you know maybe top 3 and but I I really don't think he'll get closer to the title than Pochettino did. Um and that's purely just because the competition now is just absolutely ridiculous to the point where I feel as though he'd need way more than 18 months to actually get what he wants to get out of that spot Tottenham side. And that's providing that he actually gets the backing that's needed. Because, I mean, in the summer, the only reason he left Inter Milan was because the owner, Zhang, couldn't guarantee that he had, he'd have funds available. They ended up selling Hakimi Ashraf to PSG, who was one of the players of Syria. He sold Lukaku to Chelsea, um, who was pretty much a king in Milan um, in this last year he's become like an icon a cult hero there they had to get rid of him and you know if you think Antonio Conte is going to stick around when the club's selling his most vital players it's not going to happen and I think the only reason why this has happened now between Conte and Spurs is just because it's like the perfect storm right now I think if Solskjaer wasn't under pressure in that game I don't think Spurs would have blinked as fast and it's just kind of the perfect time. I don't think Conte is willing to wait longer for a job because right now it doesn't seem like there's a really good potential job available um, in one of the top European clubs and it may not be for a good amount of time. So it's, it's a club where, you know, Conte knows that he'll be... If it's anything on an upgrade to what Nuno's produced, the fans will be happy, the board will be happy and I'm pretty sure he'll do way better than what Mourinho brought to the side. Um, but it's also a case of keeping Conte happy. And the only reason why he didn't want to join in the summer was purely because of disagreements with, I assume it was backing because Conte came out and said that he was it wasn't to do with his salary. And clearly it isn't to do with his salary because they're paying him what he wants to right now. So this is a big, big task and challenge for Daniel Levy because now he really has to put his money where his mouth is in terms of backing his manager or... Does he go and resort back to a manager where Tottenham end up becoming another top six club? Don't really do much in the league because under Pochettino, under his genius, they managed to really push way harder than they should have pushed. With Conte, he needs the backing. He needs the right specialist players in every position. Um, and I'm not quite sure Daniel Levy truly understands what mess he's got himself into, but um, he's going to have to get that wallet out far more than he did under Nuno, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think as well in the summer, maybe one of the reasons why Conte didn't fancy the Tottenham job was uh, because Harry Kane was set to be sold, basically. Manchester City were keen on Harry Kane. And if the reasons that you outline about Inter Milan and his departure from Inter Milan because they were selling all their best players because they needed the cash was the case and the reason that he left that club, then coming into a Tottenham minus Harry Kane is always going to be a a far more difficult challenge. Not that Kane has been particularly up to much this season. In terms of Conte and in terms of this Spurs squad then, 
Mali. If you look at someone like Jose Mourinho, who is considered an elite manager, he did okay at Spurs, but didn't pull up any trees. Carlo Ancelotti at Everton did all right. Again, didn't pull up any trees. So we have seen elite managers go into decent sized clubs before, but be a little bit underwhelming. So is it all about, as Joel says, Conte having the backing and the right tools to do the job? Or are people going to expect bigger things from the squad that Tottenham have got? I suppose what I'm saying, is the squad good enough at Tottenham for Antonio Conte to come in and make good things happen immediately? Uh, I, I think so. I think it's good enough to get top six. And if Spurs got top six this year, then that's a success. Absolutely. Um when you've got a striker as good as Kane, if you can get the best out of him, then you know the, you, you're never going to be like, oh, we'll be happy with the top half because you've got a guy who can score you 25, 30 goals a season if you get the service to him. You've got Son as well backing him up. He's one of the best wingers in the world and has been for the last three or four years. So there's plenty of talent there. It's it's at the back uh, where they're a bit iffy um, and the midfield is, is sort of average at the minute. So Conte needs to... to get in, come up with a system to, uh, to sort this out. Um, whether that will be his back three system that we've seen, you know, in, in these past two jobs um, remains to be seen. I think the the, the squad suits his system, his favoured system, better than Man United's would, as we talked about last week with, you know, where are the wing-backs in Man United's squad? You don't really know. Um, and I'd argue they haven't really got any. Um, whereas when you look at Spurs... Uh, you look at the likes of Emerson on the right-hand side, you look at um, Regulon on the left, and you say they'd be pretty good as wing-backs because they're much better going forward than they are defensively. Um, so I think it, it kind of suits them a little bit more. And midfield three suits and Dombele, I would, I would probably argue as well. So he could get something out of that squad. But, you know, if they can get top six in the next uh, seven months, then happy days for them because that's that has to be their remit now. And have a run in a cup as well and see what happens there. Yeah, the contract, as Joel pointed out earlier on in the show, is only 18 months, which I don't know whether that's reflective of Conte's style, uh, a fix-it-quick kind of style, or whether it's reflective of Daniel Levy's quite stringent running of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Who knows? But Antonio Conte will be the new Tottenham Hotspur manager. Just finally on this then, Joel, Conte's gone to Spurs... In terms of his appointment, he was allegedly interested in the Manchester United job. Even though Solskjaer is still in situ, the Norwegian came under huge pressure, particularly after that 5-0 defeat to Liverpool last weekend. Some Manchester United fans I've seen, particularly on social media, are quite annoyed at the club for not dismissing Solskjaer and and going in for Antonio Conte last week. Are you of that persuasion? What's your take on the situation? I disagree with a lot of the reaction. I think it's a massive overreaction. Um... First of all, I think I've seen a lot of fans say how you know how amazingly run Spurs are because they they took uh, Nuno out after four months. They saw the the signs and they got him out. I mean, Daniel Levy's probably just lost Spurs at least a good five to six million just because he made the wrong choice and now he's paying the price by going back to the guy that he reje- uh, that rejected them in the summer, and now he suddenly met his demands. I mean, it doesn't make sense at all. But I think personally, the United board were just completely terrified that Conte could potentially be another Mourinho situation where he comes in he undoes all of the work that Solskjaer's done in terms of bringing through all this young talent um, and they have like a bit of a structure and a strategy in place and I'm not sure they were willing to meet his demands let's say over a two-year contract where when he potentially leaves after that time they're gonna have to get another manager in with a different philosophy and then they're gonna have to rebuild again and I just don't think they were willing to do that and I think the board were just completely terrified that that would be the case. And I think they, I don't think they were truly interested in Conte. I feel like the fans made it something that it really wasn't. Um, but in my personal opinion, like I said earlier in the show, the only reason why I'm quite gutted is just because I feel like Conte is the only guy who can bridge the gap for us between uh, between you know the top three managers in the league. I think right now, I would never have said it in the last two to three years, but right now, when you look at our squad, it's pretty much ready-made to go for the league title. Bar one or two additions, is ready. And I don't want that to go to waste under Solskjaer, who I think has reached his ceiling in, in terms of coaching. 
I feel like Conte could have came in and pretty much gone for it straight away. Wouldn't need to revamp the squad too much. Um, and we know that he likes a squad that's pretty much ready and set to go for the league title. So that's the only reason why. But if you're thinking long term, in my opinion, I would prefer Pochettino just because I feel like he fits us way better. Obviously, he's a gamble, probably way more a gamble than Conte. Um, but, you know, I think that that game was a game of if we would have lost that game, maybe we would have been talking about Conte, the new Manchester United manager. I think that game was just who was going to blink first. And I think Daniel Levy realised that and pushed the button quick because he knew that Conte is probably the only elite manager available right now. And he may well be for a number of months, maybe even a year. So yeah, it's a bit of an overreaction. And to be honest, while Ollie's in, I'll always support it, but I'll always maintain the stance that I think he's hit his ceiling big time. And I think it's only a matter of time when you look at the next games ahead. If, for example, we end up losing the next two games, I mean, where does that leave us? I really don't know. Well, talking of one of those next two games, that is tonight against Atalanta in the Champions League. Antonio Conte is not the new United manager. He will be going to Spurs. That will be announced later today. But it will be the Champions League and Manchester United that we talk about in more detail next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you head to the website, which is sport-social.co.uk and click podcasts at the top of the page, you can find a whole roster of great sports podcasts to get stuck into, including all of the episodes from us here at Football Social Daily. And you can also get the latest episode as soon as it's ready and notifications as soon as a new show is released if you just hit that subscribe button. Right, time to talk the Champions League now on the podcast. Atalanta welcome Manchester United to Northern Italy, 8 tonight in the Champions League group stages. Now, Manchester United beat Spurs 3-0 at the weekend with a change of system, Marley. They were demolished at Old Trafford by Liverpool, five goals to nil. So they switched it up to three at the back against Spurs. They played wing-backs and they got the result, as I say, 3-0. And it cost Nuno Espirito Santo his job. Do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will repeat that formation tonight against Atalanta? Does he really have much of a choice after how well things went at the weekend? Uh, I think it makes sense to, to stick with it. Um, it's you know one thing. I mean, I watch I watched the the full ninety minutes of uh, of Man United at the weekend when they uh, were pretty comfortable against Spurs. And yes, yeah, Spurs were bad and everything. But the one thing that I seen from that game is you know people saying oh it's five at the back, yeah five at the back, wing backs and all this. The wing backs for Man United at the weekend were probably the worst players on the pitch. The reason why they won that game is two up front, which is exactly how they played last season. They played two two strikers, and I think last season it was slightly different. It was similar to to uh, how France played with the sort of four four at the back, midfield three, and then Bruno ahead of uh, of, of sorry in behind a front two, and that is that's what caused Spurs so many problems over the weekend. Like they couldn't deal with it. They Bruno found space. Um, there was three at the back to to Hoover up any counter attacks if if Spurs managed to get out of their own half. Um, but the the front two were were just too clever. There was two of them, and the most experienced, probably the two most experienced strikers in the Premier League. So they they knew how to play that system, and they knew how to link up well. And you've seen it with the goals. You know, Bruno putting a ball on a plate for Ronaldo's ridiculous volley, and then Ronaldo turning provider for for Cavani and knowing exactly where he's gonna be. Um, and that is that is what Man United, in my opinion, needed to do because. The only reason they've started playing or trying to play with wingers this season in a four-two-three-one is probably to get as many attacking players in that team as, as possible, like Rashford from the left or Greenwood from the right or, or Sancho coming into the club and potentially playing on the right. But they, they went too far away from what they did well last season, in my opinion, and they changed the system to suit who they've got. But as we've said, Man United have got so many attacking options it's impossible to get them all on the pitch at the same time. You just it's you just you just can't do it. So you've got to pick a system and then say, I'm sorry, I've got to drop Rashford and Greenwood because I think Cavani and Ronaldo are the ones to go with in this game. And you've seen it at the weekend. They 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 were very, very comfortable against um admittedly a poor Spurs. However, it got the job done. Um 
the wing backs played no part in it for me. I don't think they. In fact, they when they got the ball in attacking areas, you could see that they were defenders because Wan Bissaka barely got uh, a cross in or passed his man. He, he he looked like unfamiliar with the role, like being so attacking and and receiving the ball more in the the uh, the opponent's half than any, than anything. Do you know what I thought the first? Five to ten minutes, when Basaka actually did look quite bright and aggressive, and took on his man a couple of times, and did put a couple of crosses in. But after about ten, fifteen minutes had elapsed, he kind of regressed back into that more natural position. I suppose he reverted to type, you could say, and played the more conventional fullback role. Yeah, but that that's going to be him all over, isn't it? You know, he's one on one defending. He's probably the best fullback in the league at that, and his yeah. recovery as well. I think. Who did he uh, did he get back? He got back against someone, but it was offside. Was it offside in the end? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he um, ran back and but, tackled Son, didn't he? When he get when he got yeah. through, and that that's him all over. Defensively superb, but going forward, you you do take yourself you do take something away from yourself uh, when you when you're playing him as a wing back. But looking at tonight, I would I would think they'd go for the same thing because even if the wing backs aren't working, two up front is a much harder problem to deal with, especially when Atalanta's back three is, you know, playing one striker against three defenders is a tough task uh, for anyone, even if it is Cristiano Ronaldo up there on his own. So having two up front, maybe a bit of energy as well, maybe bring Rashford or Greenwood in to play alongside him. We know Cavani can't do too many games in a row um, and he's not played that much this season anyway. So maybe you're looking at Greenwood to partner Ronaldo up front or Rashford um, and play the two of them and see if the system works again because... For me, the key is two up front. Not doesn't matter how many at the back, as long as you've got two up front and, and Bruno in his strongest position for Man United, they're a much, much better team than, than they have been in the past five or six weeks. Yeah, I'm not privy to any inside information here, by the way, but I do fancy Rashford to start tonight for exactly the reasons you've said, Marley. Edinson Cavani, I don't know whether he had a tight hamstring by the end, but he did look in a, in a slight bit of discomfort towards the end of the game. So I'm not sure whether he'll start two games in a row. As for Ronaldo, he played 70 minutes, so maybe he will be up front again. You almost have to play Cristiano Ronaldo, particularly in the Champions League. And in the context of the group, United do need a win to maintain their posture at the top of the group. Does this in some ways, Joel, need to be equally as convincing a win as it was against Tottenham? Will a comeback win cut it like the last time against Atalanta? Does... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, even though it was a, an excellent win against Tottenham, does he need to prove that a corner has been turned in terms of performances? I think right now he's in survival mode, as we saw in against the Spurs uh, in the Spurs game. Sorry, where you know three at the back. I don't think I've seen him play three at the back once uh, that I can recall. Um, mm. And obviously, it's been, result... it's been few and far between. I think oh, they very played few. Yeah, in it... the Champions League last season a couple of times. They played three at the back. One time it worked against PSG where they won two one, and another time they got beat five nil by Leipzig. So it's it's, it's kind miss. of like yeah. take your pick about whether it's going to work or not. So that's why I think tonight's even more interesting. Yeah, I maintain he's right. He needs to ride the wave at the moment. This wave of pressure that he's got all over him because, like he said, he keeps maintaining. You know, we haven't got any time for Saul because this is just about the team and it's not about individuals. Because I'm pretty sure you know a lot of people will be saying, okay, well, what about Sancho? Where does he fit in this this new system that you've got? Where's uh, Greenwood fitting in? But I think right now, all that he cares about is getting results because he knows that you know. The swords behind him, very, very close at the moment, and um, this this game in the group stage is is pivotal, is massive, because if we don't get the result tonight, though we're at the top of the table, we've got Villarreal uh, in the next game, which is away, and that and that the group could end up coming down to the young boys game at home to actually decide whether we go through the group or not. And obviously we don't want a replication of the group last season where we were in the exact same position where we seem to be cruising the the uh, group stage. We beat PSG, we beat Leipzig 5-0 at home and then suddenly it just capitulated. So this, this game should see us through. Um, but like I said before, I'm really concerned that, you know, with this formation and this system, it's definitely not part of his plan. I don't think he ever planned at the start of the season to start start reverting to a three at the back. I think he knows, and it's not a great look on, for example, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw, that he has to resort to, resort to a three at the back. But it was absolutely needed. I mean, after that Liverpool game, they looked like deers in headlights. And 
it's quite strange because after the Euros, when they were in the team of the year, uh, team of the tournament, and they were playing some of the best football of the careers, to now have to protect them pretty much, because Solskjaer knows if he goes to four at the back again, he could end up with another situation. I mean, Atalanta are no, no um, schoolboy kind of game. They they scored a hundred league goals last year in Syria. Like they're no they're no strangers when it comes to putting the ball in the back of the net, but they're also very very weak at the back. And I think Solskjaer knows that he needs to protect not only our Champions League hopes, but he needs to protect his job. And for that to work, he hasn't got a care in the world about individuals at the moment. All he cares about is getting United over the line and getting the three points. Um, and this game marks a massive pivotal game in the season because you know if it all goes pear-shaped today, we've got City at the weekend and we, he doesn't want that huge uh, tidal wave of pressure to come over him like he did against Liverpool he's on a nice wave now where he just beat Tottenham pretty convincingly um, he showed his tactical acumen a little bit more while to try and adjust the system rather than you know be naive and be like okay four at the bat no we're going for it he adjusted he got it right but now I think he's going to continue to go in defensive survival mode and make sure that we just get out over the line. Once he's out of this wave of pressure, I think he'll start to feel a little bit more comfortable and trust the players a little bit more. Chelsea also in Champions League action tonight. They travel to Sweden to play Malmö, the champions of the Allsvenskan, which is the top flight of football there in Sweden. Um, they're second in their group, Chelsea, behind Juventus. Can't see them slipping up against Malmö, but if they do, it would be catastrophic for them. Um, obviously, in the last game, they lost Lukaku and Werner, who both went off injured against Malmö two weeks ago. But since then, they've scored 13 goals. Seven of those came against Norwich. So I think it shows that they're pretty much dangerous from anywhere. We won't talk about Chelsea for now. I think that that game against Malmö probably takes care of itself. But you know exactly what's going to happen now that I've said that. I'm sure we'll mention it on tomorrow's Football Social Daily. Just finally then, let's stick with Manchester United and what we've just been talking about, Marley. Joel says it's survival mode for Solskjaer. It's about winning, pretty much. Just get over the line, get the job done. Do you think that that will continue to be the case further down the line? Because when Manchester United win, is it more about how they win when they do rather than the result itself? Because United have made a bit of a reputation in recent times, particularly the last 12 months of coming from behind to win games. And that is a remarkable trait to have. It's a very valuable asset to have as well, the ability to come from behind and pick up a win. But United can't keep going two goals down like they did against Atalanta because, as Paul Scholes said after that Atalanta game a couple of weeks ago, if you do that against Liverpool, you'll be found out. And that's exactly what happened. So in your opinion, just to finish the show, is it more about how Manchester United win the games when they do? Yes and no, because if, like, if they win, Solskjaer's not going to get sacked on the back of a win. doesn't matter how it comes, he's not going to get sacked on the back of a win. So um, as well now, the obvious replacement for him that everybody wants and they would probably look at is is gone. He's you know, Conte's at Spurs. By the time this podcast probably comes out it's probably been announced. Um so the pressure's off him slightly in terms of like there being an obvious guy. Do you remember when Pochettino was out of work and he was under pressure and I described him as like the Grim Reaper like swallowing um, following him round. Like it's not like that anymore because Conte is no longer Got his cape on. He's gone to uh, he's gone to Spurs, hasn't he? So he's put his side he's down for his, another yeah, few Halloween months, costume yeah. in the cupboard for another yeah. year. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So it's um, I, I I don't feel like it's massively important. It's just I think it's more important just to get results because even the most sort of like there's always going to be fans who go, oh, it doesn't matter how we win, he's not good enough. Like the club might think that as well, but when there's no obvious guy out there. I don't think there's any world-class managers out of work, with the possible exception of Zidane, who has apparently said that he doesn't fancy England at all. Um, so, you know, who who else is out there? I feel like Man United are more are better off to get fully behind um, Solskjaer. I don't think he's done anything wrong in his time at Man United so far. Yes, he might have hit a ceiling, and I probably do agree with what, what Joel said about um, hitting a ceiling, but, you know... what. So, like, you know, you can't break through that ceiling, like, all, like, at any point. You've got, the timing's got to be right. You've got to have a, somebody who can come in and definitely take the club on because 
Man United don't want to be hiring and firing managers every, you know, six months or a year or whatever it might be. So I feel like the the results are more important than the than how you get them this time. One thing that's always um, pleased me about Solskjaer is that he, he is tactically, he will change things if things aren't working. He changed them at the weekend. It worked. He changed it a few times when he first came in. He, he played around with a few systems and eventually he found a formula that worked. So I don't think he's stubborn enough to just go, I'm going to play this way and if we lose, we lose. It's not like that. I feel like he, he will try and do what's best for the club. Um, and I feel like he does deserve that chance because he's been by far the best manager to come to take charge at Man United since uh, Alex Ferguson left. Really fascinating chat today. Thank you very much, Marley. Thank you very much, Joel. Really enjoyed that on Football Social Daily today, talking about managers and what next for the likes of Manchester United and indeed Tottenham Hotspur. Of course, we'll have plenty of news, the latest news from the Premier League on our website, sport-social.co.uk. We'll also be looking back at those Champions League games that take place tonight on tomorrow's episode of the show. But that's it for today. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss the next episode. And we'll catch you then on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to luckylandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.